Hi, I'm Johnny Varvel, UK's Editor-in-Chief, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the Varvel Football Podcast. This podcast aims to bring you insight, debate, and entertainment from some of the best and brightest young sports journalists from around the world. Please do give us a listen. You've already started, so I'd recommend staying for a little bit longer at least. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, then please do give us a subscribe. And even better, give us a positive review. Positive reviews are a great way to expand our reach. Not only would this mean a lot to me, but it would mean a lot to over 300 writers that write regularly for Varvel UK. We hope to get as many of them on this podcast as we possibly can over the course of the 2021 to 22 season. Anyway, enough of my waffle. Let's get straight into this. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So yeah, after that wonderful introduction by my very good self, I'm happy to be joined by Adam Doyle, Liverpool editor for Valve UK. Thanks for having me on, mate. Absolute pleasure. Not not much of a pleasure this the result this weekend for my <laughs> team and your team, but that's well, well, we'll talk about that later. And after last week, he couldn't make it because of quite a nasty injury. Anthony Scott, Southampton editor, is back with us. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, how are you feeling as well, by the way? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. Very good, very good. We're happy to have a, a, a team of three. Callum, who's usually here, is at a gig. He's stuck now. We are going to look at the Premier League. We're going to look at the big stories, first of all, and there's no better place to start, I suppose, than the London derby between Arsenal and Chelsea. A game, Adam, I'd probably say was best described as men against boys, even though that does sound a bit cliche these days. Well, yeah, absolutely. I thought Chelsea, well, they're far superior than Arsenal on paper, and then in the actual game, it was absolutely men against boys. I think Ben White's, Missing out the game was a blessing in disguise for him because Lukaku was absolutely unbelievable, as you'd expect coming into the game. Just the way that he rolls defenders, and just I remember a few years ago seeing the clip of him in Carragher, just and he was doing that piece on Sky where he was just teaching him how to roll defenders, and he was like, had the confidence to, to say to Carragher and anyone else, I can beat any defender on my day. And I think his time in Italy has served him perfectly because he's come back, his hold up plays a lot better he was always good as a striker running in behind you look at his height and you think oh maybe he's a you know one-dimensional footballer but he can do everything and it's such an important sign for Chelsea when they've got Werner who was hit and miss last season absolutely and, and I suppose Anthony you can attribute the improvement in Lukaku's game to Antonio Conte the former Chelsea manager who has really taken uh, a striker who had his talents before he went to Italy, but he's taken that and he's, he's really made him one of the elites now, hasn't he? Yeah, that's right. I mean, even at Chelsea, he turned a team that was sort of underperforming under Mourinho into a team that won the title eventually. Um, and he did the same at Inter. Um, so, yeah, a bit more about Lukaku. Like, it's amazing how what the progress he's made since then. The performance today, I think, answered a lot of critics um, that perhaps said... Is he ready for the Premier League? Is he ready to return where sort of it all began for him? Because, um, of course, he didn't score for Chelsea in his first spell. But, um, yeah, he got one. He could have had two. Perhaps could have even had three on a different day if Benno didn't make the great save towards the end. But, um, no, his transformation and sort of Chelsea overall this season certainly looked to be a threat. Super save that by Leno, actually. I forgot about that. Oh, that's a, that's the save of the season contender, in my opinion. It'll probably be forgotten, but... Oh. What a, what a reaction. Um, I think one of the things really that stood out for me, when you looked at the Chelsea team, even though Lukaku is making his debut, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what his role is. And everyone in that Chelsea team knows exactly what their role is, which is important because Thomas Tuchel is an astute tactician and he has all these little intricacies in, in the way that they play. It means that when everyone knows what they're doing, it looks quite difficult to beat. And then you look on the other side, you've got Arsenal, and it looks like they have no conviction in what they're doing. They have no idea if they're supposed to be playing out from the back or going long. Should they just cross it in? That's been quite a prevalent thing uh, in many games in the Arteta era. And that, for me, I suppose, when you're looking at it from an Arsenal fan's perspective, Adam, is the most worrying thing, that there is no conviction or no obvious plan 
or no obvious signs of what they're trying to do. Yeah, but Arsenal have sort of, they've been the laughing stock of sort of the, the big six, the old big six for quite a while now. And as you said, they they just they lack ideas, they lack anything of concrete going forward. They've they've got you look on paper and you think, right, Martinelli, decent player, Saka, decent player, Smith decent player, Pepe, decent player on his day. Lakonga comes in and looks looks like a tidy player himself. But you put it all together and nothing works. And I don't know. I, I, I when Arteta first came in, I thought, you know, this might be they might be onto a winner here because he's got that history of working with Pep Guardiola. He clearly knows and has seen how a team should be set up at the top level, but it just it hasn't seemed to work for him. And and even still, I, I think if he, I, we imagine he probably will lose his job this season, barring an unbelievable turnaround. But I don't think there's a decent manager in there, but. It's such a poison chalice, Arsenal, at the moment, where I think it's going to take a real, well, a real rebuild under a, a special manager to change their fortunes. And there's not many special managers out there. Mm. And the ones that are, are don't particularly want to go to Arsenal. No, in defence of Arteta, though, Anthony, I mean, they have, they were without Ben White with COVID today, obviously had a st- difficult debut, might have had another difficult game against the Kaku, but again, £50 million defender, they're without him, which means holding and Mary, you've not really got much pace there. Mary, particularly when Tierney bombs forward, you think, uh-oh, Mary's trying to cover that left side. He's not quick enough to really do that and cover those gaping gaps behind. So he's without White. Aubameyang had COVID and had just tested negative, wasn't fit enough to start. Apparently, you might read into that more, but... It, Regardless, he wasn't in the 11. And Lacazette, the other proven striker, wasn't in the 11. So again, going with Martinelli up front, last week it was Balogun. There was no real focal point there. It's been a bit of a... Obviously, as I've noted and as we've noted, it's not looking too good. But at times of crisis, you do really want your full 11 available to you as well. And Odegaard, of course, has just arrived. It'd be... From an Arteta point of view, he'll want to have that full 11 on the pitch just to get him through this tough period, surely. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the team selection so far, sort of, he's had he's put together what essentially he can. Um, he's put, put out the best team available to him, um, and unfortunately for Arsenal, that's just not been good enough. Um, they were torn apart today. Um, even even against Brentford, they didn't show any particular sign of even threatening. Um, but no, it, the absentees of sort of Lacazette and Aubameyang, yes. But at the same time, you can't be a one-two man team. Um, he's had t- time, I'd say, to try and make that team his own. Um, whether or not the funds have been there or not um, is a different sort of issue. But um, yeah, it's a difficult one for Arsenal. Um, they're a team that want to do well. They want to succeed. They want. They wanted to back their previous player and captain. But um, yeah, results certainly need to come around sooner rather than later. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it could be the it could be the Arsenal horror show every week. I was really tempted to ask Jake on, but I, I fear it might get worse next week. So, uh, Jake Jake Leach would be perfect for the international breaks uh, episode or the what after the third fixture against Manchester City. But Adam, you just got a point. Well, yeah, going on to what what I'm just said. Um, another thing which will not give Arteta any time at all is they're spending this summer as the biggest in the league, and well. If if the Cronkies are going to put money out, then they they will expect results. Mm. And well, they're not getting results. They probably won't get a result next week. And then it goes into the international break where so many questions are up in the air, and he can't do anything because there's players aren't there. Mm. It looks like you know FIFA have changed the rules, so players are going to come back and quarantine, so he won't have a full eleven re- ready for when he comes back. It, it, you got to feel for the guy because I don't think he's got long left. Oh, we all love an international break, though, don't we? So uh, can't be can't begrudge that. Uh, well, let's not start. I don't know what anyone's going to do for fancy football because all the Brazilian <laughs> lads are out, all the African lads are out. So we're all we're just left with an English eleven, aren't we? So that'll be interesting. That's <laughs> yeah. a free hit if I've ever seen one. Uh, uh, you know, you're not wrong there. Some fancy advice there from Adam. This podcast has a bit, has a bit of everything. Um, just a quick line on Chelsea before we move on. We're focused on Arsenal for obvious reasons because, quite frankly, Chelsea, wonderful, like we said at the start. No Kante as well. Kovacic and Jorginho doing an amiable job in the centre of the pitch. And they really are, with Lukaku, title contenders if they weren't already, aren't they? Absolutely. They, they 
the, the question mark when that team was built by Lampard was, there's a lot of young players there, can we get them to perform? And myself last year, I thought, I don't think they'll win the league this year, but maybe next season that could be their, their year, they can win a trophy. And then Tuchel comes in last year and wins the Champions League. And they've got that pedigree. They've been there and done it and they've won the biggest trophies. Domestically, the question is, can they be consistent over a 38-game season? Liverpool and City have done that in the last few years. United and Chelsea haven't. So when it comes into a, a Premier League prediction, who's going to finish at the top of the tree? We don't know. We, we Of course we don't know, but we, in terms of pedigree and being there, done that domestically, they've not done that with this squad. So that's, that's what we're all looking forward to over the season is, can they get over the line? They've got the players to do it. So it's just beating the Watfords, beating the Villas, beating the Burnleys, no offence, John Evil, <laughs> beating those awesome teams because the, it's very easy for a big team to turn up against the big teams. You, you don't need to be you know, wake up in the morning and, and get yourself up for those games, but it's when it's cold and windy and it's horrible and you're playing Burnley at Turf Moor, that's when you... That's when champions are decided. So it is. Time will tell. Champions are made at Turf more Fantastic. Um, we we'll have to. I mean, we have to move on from that, really, and we'll go straight to Southampton and Man United. A fixture that I'm sure Anthony would have been absolutely delighted with. I mean, not a fixture, but a result, shall we say? Because in those opening twenty minutes, I feared for Southampton. I really did. A lot of pressure and and a lot of ball in Southampton defensive third with United probing. Bit of luck with the goal. But you cannot. De- I mean, no one can deny that Southampton fully merited a point on, on that on that day. Uh, no, after last weekend and seeing the way Man United played, and obviously the way we played at Everton, you did fear the worst going into the game. Um, but yeah, and particularly early on. But um, no, the more the more the time went on, the more we grew into the game. It was still nil nil. We always sort of have a chance at that stage. Then the goal goes in, and then all of a sudden you have something to defend. Um, Southampton, particularly in the second half of games, especially under Hassan Hootel, have seemed to struggle under, in that second half, whether or not that's fatigue from the sort of game game plan as such with the high press and whatnot. But um, no, even when Man United did equalise, I, like a lot of people, said, right here, here we go. That's, that's it. Here comes a defeat. Mm. And towards the end, especially, I think we had the better chances to actually go on and win the game. Like it's, it's one of those where you think back to Danny Ings and you say, right, if Danny Ings has that chance that Armstrong Mm. does, it goes in. Mm. Um, Armstrong looks a handful. Um, He proved that today against a good defense of having scored last week, but hopefully he'll grow into it. And yeah, next time that chance goes in and, Mm. It's all good. I'll stick with you, Anthony, actually, for this next question, because it seems appropriate, given your connections with the club. But there were a lot of predictions, as you well know, because you made the graphics, <laughs> uh, that were suggesting Southampton would finish bottom. And the reasoning behind that was more to do with the lack of the lack of balance with incoming and outcoming tra- going transfers. Now, Armstrong's a very good striker, but Danny Ings is a phenomenal striker at this level for many clubs, and we're seeing that with Villa at the moment. And Vestergaard's a very, very good defender. We know his limitations with speed, but very, very assured at the back, a regular in the Southampton defence. And of course, Ryan Bertrand has been fantastic for Southampton for a very long time and left on a free transfer. So do you, first of all, do you understand the lack of confidence from outside of the club with regards to your club? And secondly, what's your overall thoughts with it? Because of course, there have been quite a lot of people that have left, key players, as I've just said, but on to on the display against Manchester United, there's a lot of optimism there, isn't there, for, for the coming season? There is. Um, the outgoings didn't come as a surprise. There are one or two that you sort of raised your eyebrows at, but then you read into it a bit more. It's entering the last year of their contract. If he's not going to stay, cash in. Um, but at the same time, with players like Ings, you want to you want to sort of go right. We need his goals. If he leaves for free, he leaves for free. Um, but I do understand sort of the selling ethos. I'm delighted James Ward Prowse has signed a five-year contract. If he went, then yeah, I would have given up hope. But um, no, overall, ingoings and outgoings, the incomings have been not as high profile as some. Um, there's been a lot of younger players. 
Um, Timo Liveramento was outstanding today. Um, rightly named man of the match, in my opinion. He is a youngster on, I think we got him for however much we did from Chelsea. And then we've got another Chelsea youngster up top on loan as well. So we, we are bringing players in to sort of fill in those gaps. Um, Kyle Walker-Peters came off the bench today. Um, he was a regular starter last year. It shows how well sort of our defence is doing. Same with Bednarek. Um, he, Hassan Hootel has faith in the likes of Salisa and Stevens at the back. Um, but yeah, I'm still not personally confident in the goalkeeping situation, um, having seen what goal did, we did concede today. But um, it's one of those where I think we have two keepers of equal ability, but mm. their ability may not be up to scratch. I completely agree with that. I've said that for quite a while, actually. Um, again, uh, much of a muchness in goal. There's no one that really stands out and probably one of the weakest number ones in the league, if, if you look at it from that point of view as well. I think on the Man United front, Adam, it, I suppose from your point of view, you were quite happy with that result. But also, I think given that Varane's, as we were sort of discussing before we went on air, given that Varane's not come into the equation yet, given that Sancho's not really come into the equation, he came on as a substitute, of course. Cavani's still not back. I think there is still a little bit of... Start, almost like Manchester City the week before, there's a bit of, we're not quite up to speed yet. And that's not an excuse as such, particularly where you go to Southampton uh, or any club. But I just get the sense that, and of course it might be different because of the FIFA rules and whatnot, but with the international break coming up and after that international break, that's when I think we'll start to see what this Man United team can really do because everyone will be back and everyone will be ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. But, 38 games in, you know, this, this, these are the games that you've got to get over the line. And, and no offence to answer the Southampton fan, but the big six are going to look, be looking at the, the likes of Southampton away and you've got to win. You, there's, you know, Liverpool two from two, Chelsea two from two, and there's already a gap and the gap will continue to grow if you keep using the excuse that, that oh, we've not got this player back, we've not got that player back. On paper, Man United should have won this game, hands down. I think everybody going into the game thought that mm. the 11 that were, that were set out to win the game are far superior than what Southampton had. had. So I don't think that's an excuse. I think, the, you know, there were a lot of plays that were really poor today. I thought Harry Maguire had an yes. absolute stick there. And that's the thing. That's my problem with Man United. Obviously, I'm biased and I say all this through a tainted Liverpool perspective, but... I look at Man United and I think they've got brilliant players on the day, mm. but the day isn't thirty-eight game isn't thirty-eight games a season. It's it, maybe ten to fifteen, and it, you know so many players and have an off day as Harry Maguire has today. You're not going to win the league title, and and that's the that is what Man United fans want and mm. expect, and they've got a squad that is capable of doing it on paper. But football's mm. not played on played on paper, no. and today they these are the games you've got to win, as I've said, and well they didn't win it so no I, I, I guess you always do all, all I would say though is you know you're quite right in what you said but and this, this is the reaction from quite a lot of Man United fans but what I would say is that while the season is over 38 games and these are the games that you should win seasons are also not lost in game week two especially not on the draw for example we've seen I mean we saw Norwich City beat Manchester City 3-2 in the last time that they were in the Premier League and Norwich City went down with a, by a canter I know I completely I completely agree it's not lost here but drawing the Southampton it will creep into their minds now where they've got it's added pressure that's unnecessary added pressure mm. on themselves when I, I'm not sure what their fixtures read I remember seeing their first six and thinking mm. they should be from six there they've got Wolves away next in Newcastle at home mm. Wolves lose lost at home to Tottenham today mm. they're playing Newcastle who can't win for love nor money they, they, they've got to win these games and they're so important and it's sort of you know there's so many factors that come into play with Man United where there's so much expectation and this generation of fans are still remembering the Ferguson days and thinking, you know, win, win, win. But I don't think this this squad have the minerals to do it. I, I, maybe this will come back to bite me on the arse at the end of the season, but I just don't think they do. Although they are unbeaten now in over a season away from home. Which is, which, is, which is one way of looking at I it. Know, that's that. it, it. It does come out. You know, you have a terrible game at Southampton, but it always creeps out, doesn't it? And I, well, 
you can have the stat, but maybe you mm. won't have the league title on May. Oh, there we yeah, go. I think, I, think, um, I think they equaled Arsenal's Invincibles uh, record um, over that period with that draw, reading Sky Sports earlier. But um, no, with regards to United, they need to be in a good position before the end of October because they face Leicester away, Liverpool at home, Spurs away, then City at home mm. as a run of five fixtures. So mm. they need to be there and thereabouts before. And um, mm. with their midfield base, do you think they can win the league? Uh, well, I think I, I did. I did say, and I have said, and I think I said on the first podcast, they do need really a, a robust defensive midfielder to do that. Because I think with Fred and McTominay, they make quite a good partnership, and and they do. That's given last season because neither one's a standout number six or number eight, or neither one's a brilliant going forward or sitting back. They just both kind of work in 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 tandem, really, and both sort of protect each other's limitations a little bit. And it kind of works with the current setup. It also allows Pogba to be more free and Fernandes to be more free. But I would agree. I think when I look at Chelsea, when I look at, at my Manchester City, I think that Man United need a more robust defensive midfielder, even to have the option of playing with a lone six if necessary. Because, like you say, I don't think Fred convinces, particularly from a ball-playing perspective, and McTominay is not a, not a natural defensive midfielder either. So I think you're pretty much yeah, spot on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, any teams that win the league have a brilliant hold midfielder. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's how it's always been. Yeah. Well, they don't, they don't. Liverpool got Fabinho. As you said, Chelsea have got Kante. Well, Kante, Kante Jorginho is a pivot, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they've got them players. And the United have a brilliant team. I think they've got nine really good players. Mm. The, the, that two at the base, they can't trust Pogba in, in their... I feel like if they had McTominay next to a new signing, that could be great because I think McTominay, almost like Henderson, he's got the leadership, the tenacity in the middle of the pitch. But again, it, it or Fred, because Fred does have his qualities off the ball, almost like a half cante. He does a lot of off the ball dog like work really, really well, but his distribution really lets him down. And, and it kind of that, that's, think, that's think... his big limitation. I think Ollie's comments last week say a lot where he was like, even Fred scored. Uh, I think, you know, I don't think he's thought of, as you said, I think that the relationship between McTominay and Fred, they that helps each other out. It sort of hides. But if, if you've got one, as I said, you can't play Pogba because it exposes mm. either Fred or McTominay. You Unless you've got Mar- a Kante next to him. Yeah, well, Kante is a cheat code, isn't it? Yeah, I think you've got Kante, you can just do what you want. So, better luck with them. Yeah. Very good. Anyway, another from one side of Manchester to the other. Happy, happy Manchester City. I mean, high five to them. Five nil win over Norwich. I mean, I can actually predicted this to be found. I mean, it's Norwich. Just if you, if Manchester City had to play a team other than Burnley, who they seem to beat five nil every time at the Etihad, then it probably would be Norwich because the way Norwich play plays into Manchester City's hands. And I've got to admit, first. One, two goals. The Tim Krul on goal, I thought, oh, that's really unlucky. And then the way Grealish sort of, the ball falls to him and he sort of prods it in. He can't, he, he can't, if he tries to miss, it's harder to miss. You think, oh, this is just unfortunate. But then you see the goals in the second half as well and the Laporte finishing. You think, I mean, one thing you don't do against Man City is let them score from a corner. The City fans joke they can't score from corners. And Norwich made an awful attempt at clearing a corner and then Laporte smashes it in. It's a bit of, yeah, in some cases they were a tad unfortunate, but bit bit grim viewing from a Norwich perspective because they made it really, really easy for a very talented Man City team. Yeah, they did. Um, you fear for Norwich based just, just defensively based on that performance. Um, looking at the analysis, um, watching Match of the Day, etc., four of the goals came from the same situation where the ball in between centre-half and left-back and... You can't do that against some someone as quality as Man City and Pep Guardiola than the way he sets up. Um, it was interesting to see Jesus on the right as opposed to front and centre, but to get the assists he did, fair play to him. He's come under a bit of criticism, looking to fill sort of Aguero's shoes. But um, no, he, he didn't score, but um, as I say, he played his part. But yeah, in terms of defending, Norwich need to... Look at it. Daniel Fark wasn't happy after the game. Um, he tried to make changes at half time to sort of stop that happening down that channel. But um, 
yeah, it was one of those, and um, yeah, it didn't work out. I mean, from a Manchester City point of view, I do you you learn nothing really from that kind of game, do you? Because they've got so much talent. They didn't really, I don't think, go into first gear, to be honest with you. And they were still far, far too good. One thing that people noted was that Gabriel Jesus playing as the nine gave them a bit more of a focal point up front, helped them a little bit in that in that regard. Maybe that incentivizes them to make a, la- a last dash for Harry Kane, who start, well, came off the bench today for Tottenham. Yeah, well, I think sort of... I've always noticed City are an unbelievable football team. And Guardiola sometimes tries to overcomplicate games which are fairly straightforward. And I, I'm well, we will never know, will we? But I'm pretty sure if, if they've got an outlet against Tottenham, they win that game. And today, and yes, um, on Saturday, they had an outlet and they, they beat Norwich fairly comfortably. There's not much you can say which hasn't been said with City. Brilliant team, brilliant squad, brilliant manager. Um, been there and done it. So it's just the case of sort of clawing back, you know, losing that first game. They've got to, they've, they've got to put a statement victory out. And Daniel Fark said, you know, we played City at the worst possible point because it was on the back of a, of a defeat at the Tottenham. Just have to play Liverpool so, as well. Well, yeah, exactly. So it's, they've, Norwich are in a horrible situation where they, they start. Well, they, they come into the league with a, a championship squad and not a Premier League calibre squad. And then you can't get any momentum, you can't get a rhythm going because you, you play some of the best teams in the league and you're open selling games. And at that point, morale's down and everything's against you. So, well, going into that, I, I, I think a lot of people, myself included, have done their Premier League predictions saying Norwich, you know, they, they've got a decent squad. Can they do it? Can they not? But when you take into consideration the teams that they've got and their opening games, you then look into, you know, after that, can they are they able to bounce back? And that's why maybe their Premier League experience in the last few seasons where they, they got relegated, but they've been there and been in the league and experienced that. Can they um, learn their lessons? And I, I don't think they've got the squad that can do that. To be fair, I, I had them to stay up. Uh, so the past two weeks have made for grim viewing from my point of view and my predictions. But what I would say is that this is a perfect example of a game where neither team learns anything really, because Manchester City would have beaten Norwich pretty convincingly in some capacity, even if Norwich hadn't given some of the goals to them. And then on the other side of it, Manchester City you know, would expect to bounce back after a, a tougher game at Tottenham at home in front of the fans for the first time in a very long time against a team like Norwich that played into their hands. It was probably going to be if there was if someone said there's going to be a five nil this weekend, I'd have guaranteed you it was going to be on that game. Yeah, absolutely. Know. the The problem is with Norwich is that, as I mentioned before, they can't build a rhythm, and the source of they they will be over they will be overexerting themselves in these games against the big clubs because they don't want to embarrass themselves. And five nil, five nil is well, it's maybe you look at it on paper it's an embarrassing result, but in terms of the the field of play. It's what everybody accepted, and it's sort of that sort that shows the the difference in quality in the Premier League from one to twenty. There's so many sub leagues, aren't there? And I just think it's horrible to see a team like Norwich go to the Etihad on the first away game, first away day for the fans going to the Etihad, and they they sort of know what's going to happen, don't they? So it happens every season, as you said. I don't think either team learns a lot. Both teams got minutes in the legs. It's sort of a pre-season match. You could look at it as, as that. So, yeah, best of luck to Norwich, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, best of luck to Norwich. Best of luck to Manchester City in their title pursuit as well. Probably not from you, Maybe Adam, not. But... No, maybe no. not. <laughs> okay. no. Fair enough. Um, yeah, fair enough. And I guess I'm going to start with you, actually, Anthony, here, because obviously you're the impartial one. In the Liverpool-Burnley game, which kicked off the weekend, it was a 2-0 Liverpool win. Goals from Mane and Jota as well. Thoughts on the game generally? Catch much of it? I know me and Adam did, but we'll get your views first and foremost, I think. Yeah, no, I think it was, was, for first and as a sort of neutral, it was great to see sort of the cop fall again. Um, After all, and the fans back there, Liverpool were are known for being one of the most sort of, I wouldn't want to say passionate, that's the wrong word, but... um, sort of supporters in the league they get behind their team when they're at full voice there's nothing like it 
Um, and yeah, it, it was sort of sort of business back to business for them. Um, sort of two nil perhaps was a bit kind on Burnley, um, but um, but um, no overall I think yeah um, Mane back in the goals as well. Hopefully they'll see an upturn for him. But um, yeah. Yeah, that is a podcast. I did do the Carlo Ancelotti eyebrow at the 2-0 was kind. Um, I actually thought, from my point of view, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite impartial at the best of times. I always try to be. Liverpool deserved the win. I think I would say 2-0 was probably fair because Burnley actually did create some opportunities in that game. I thought, particularly in the first half, Dwight McNeil gave Trent Alexander-Arnold a tough time. I actually think Trent Alexander-Arnold's had a tough time every time he's faced Dwight McNeil at Anfield. I think he's, he's given him a very tough game, probably because... Alexander-Arnold likes to bomb on and that gives a lot of space in behind for someone like McNeil to run into. Caused a lot of threat, I think, in that particular game. Some good balls into the box, tested Alisson, had one cleared off the line, that was offside. I think with from Liverpool, I think Anthony summed it up. Well, I think it was like a back to, back to sort of standards performance of what we kind of expect. Not quite as scintillating as Manchester City, I must say. I don't think they are. Very different brand of football. In fact, lots of air, lots of direct balls forward, usually into the channels, followed by crosses from two of the well, one of the best crosses in the in, in the league in Trent Alexander Arnold and someone in Costa Simicas, who I think is outstanding as a deputy for Robertson. I thought he had a really good game. But I think it was I think Burnley made a gave a good account of themselves. It's just Liverpool were a bit too good. Yeah, I think you got a spot on. Liverpool were good, but not excellent. I thought Burnley were Okay, but not terrible. I, yeah, so I, I, I do think with Burnley, there's a lot of anti football going on. Where, where I think Klopp, you know, I, I don't think you can't wait Klopp, to get onto this bit. Biggest fan. But I think with, with Klopp, he sort of he says a lot of stuff tongue in cheek, and he, he's been there with Mainz in that caliber of team in a, in a league where you're up against it, and Burnley always are up against it with the budget that they've got and the players they've got. Sean Dyche always overachieves. And he brings his team to Anfield, and they've, you know, they, what they, they were the only team that managed to take points off Liverpool the year they won the league. They, the team that started the the whole, you know, Anfield horrible time for me last year with losing oh. every game. It felt like at Anfield, but you know, it was a game where Liverpool were good, but excellent. As I said, a lot of players are starting to find their feet. I, I, I do think as. That Liverpool have got this, this as you mentioned, this tendency to, to sort of come across as maybe a bit of a long ball team in comparison to City. It's Liverpool, Liverpool and Man City are compared in stylistically because of where they are on the table, but mm. completely different football inside mm. Man City. They like to hold the ball, like, like they like to create pockets of space uh, just through ticky tack of football, and Liverpool are very much. Give it to Van Dijk. We'll switch the play. Andy Robertson and Trent, when they're both fit, will completely shift the ball every two minutes, shift the defence of the other team, shift the whole shape of the opposition team and punish that uh, with the pace of Mane and Salah mm. through the wings. Mm. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Liverpool are like full strength. Mm. Didn't have Thiago starting. They didn't have Firmino starting. He's still not fully fit and Joss is making the case for himself to be the guy instead of Firmino. But I, I think in terms of the game against Burnley, I want to note as well, I thought the referee was quite harsh on, on you guys. I was at the game and I, I thought he was, Mike Dean was quite very, uh, well, he enjoyed his whistle, didn't he? That, that, I mean, it, it was uh, it was one of them where I thought there's this whole thing wanting the play to, to run a bit. And albeit, I think Burnley sort of confused playing Liverpool with SummerSlam yesterday, but... <laughs> Um, there was a lot. I, I I thought you've got you know first first away game for them. Let let that game flow a bit. But yeah, good but not excellent for Liverpool. Yeah, you sort of come on. You're sort of hinting at the Jurgen Klopp comments after. I've got to admit, we're going to look at this from two very different perspectives. But I side, no doubt, obviously, with many of the pundits who sort of take the Burnley view in in, the, in terms of well, there wasn't too much to be too angry about obviously you get jostling from time to time you get physicality that's what you expect from Burnley and that's what you'd expect from a team as you well as you rightly alluded to that is punching above its weight that doesn't spend extravagant transfer fees on players and when you come to Anfield the last thing you want to do is 
to be passive or to not be physical. Liverpool are a team that likes to dominate against other teams using physicality, hitting the ball forward. There is less, as you say, tikka-taka about Liverpool. It's more about getting the ball out wide, throwing balls into the box, making panic and dominating, you know, with that physicality and, and, and fast tempo football. Playing Burnley, I feel like, Burnley are much more accustomed at dealing with that kind of brand of football than they are with, say, Manchester City, where they've got to always be thinking and concentrated, hence 5-0 every time at the Etihad. But from on, on, on that level, though, I just I found it quite arrogant from Klopp, to be honest with you, from my point of view, to sort of say, oh, you know, we should football, you know, we're going back 10, 15 years with this kind of thing. Well, hang on, football's not done in one style, and he should know that, and particularly with his time at Manitz, he should also know there's many ways to take on bigger teams and this is just one of them it's not the first time he's taken a dig at Burnley he's taken a dig at Burnley on numerous occasions and I've got to say Jose Mourinho is a manager that gets a lot of criticism in the past for things he said in the press conferences but we seem to give Jurgen Klopp a bit of a a bit of a a, a brush aside because you know he's a charismatic guy elite manager great great fun in the media but I think he's one of the most miserable and poor losers in the entire division I, I cannot you know I love him I think he's an elite manager. I think he does so much for English football. He's brought a brilliant brand to the Premier League, but he's such a poor loser. Yeah, I, I think any any winners are poor losers, aren't they? I think. Well, I'm sure Guardiola's the same. I'm sure any top managers are the same. I'm sure, well, any manager in general doesn't like losing. Mm. I think with Klopp, as you said, he may have he does he likes to dig at Burnley. I've noticed that over the years, and sort of he. After Liverpool's injuries last season, he's going to be overprotective of his players. That's mm. natural. I think a lot of people like to sort of uh, dismiss the whole oh, Liverpool had injuries last season. Everyone has injuries. Everyone has injuries, but they don't have 25 no. different centre-back partnerships over a season. It it got a bit stupid last year. Mm. And rightly, Klopp wants to be overprotective of, of his players. And you can't really do that in a nice way, can you? I think... I suppose not. You know, it's oh, you know I, I wasn't no well yeah I'm trying to I'm trying to paint it up but no I just don't really <laughs> I don't think he does uh, to be fair I do get uh, that's the classic argument as well well no winner you know is a no no winner is a good is a good loser and that's fair enough I do agree with that to an extent however I remember when Guardiola played Burnley and they drew a game which was you know, they've been, they've been on a massive winning run. They drew at Turf Moor and he was quite complimentary, actually, saying they made it really difficult with this, this and this. Quite funny, he mentioned the pitch being slightly, the grass was slightly too big, which is something Arteta used. So that was a bit comical, but it was certainly nothing on the lines of what Klopp said and what Klopp went at. And it's not the first time that Klopp's done this. I remember he had a fiery interview with Des Kelly where he was really going at him after a game not too uh, long ago. And Des Kelly hadn't really done anything to in, infuriate him. last season? Like, I'm it, trying it, to was. That. it was, and I was yeah. a bit gobsmacked, really. Klopp wasn't a very happy guy last year, understandably. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot a lot went on in his life. and then no, a lot I, 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 That's true. In, in his, I, know, I think he was sort of very fed up with everything last year and bless him. Mm. But yeah. no, no, he, he is, he is a fiery character. You, he is what, you know, he is what he is. Mm. What, what is on the tin is what exactly what you'll mm. get. Mm. And it's also, you know, making the comparison, but it's like a, a Diego Costa at Chelsea where, you know, you love having him and, and hate facing mm. him because it's just, there's always, something's always going to happen. Mm. Uh, um, no, I absolutely, I, I adore the man, but mm. no, you are right. Sometimes he does a, uh, does dig out Burnley a bit, but the budgets and Burnley got a player like that. There's yep. they can't go there and play football because mm. I saw sort of 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 the teams of of the calibre, and I, mm. you know, I think I'm doing Burnley to to service saying they're in the same calibre as, as Norwich, but you know yeah. the, the lesser sides of of the Premier League. Mm. You can't go to Liverpool and you can't go to City and be open. We saw Norwich are a team that are kind of an expansive football side and they always get battered at these big teams. They don't seem to have the best of plan Bs. Mm. Burnley's plan A. It's always, I find with Burnley, is they never seem to get the results against the big clubs, but no big club ever wants to face Burnley. I think that's the best thing you can say about Burnley. They always make it difficult. They always make a war of it. And if you want to stay in this league, that's what you've got to do. So maybe Ramfield last year, maybe. Well, and the Emirates, if that's a big club still. True, true. No, no, I, I, I suppose, well, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not counting anything of last season. 
Hmm. I don't even, I don't even, uh, if, if there's no fans in there for any of the season of, you know, hmm. full capacity, then I, I don't, I don't recognise it. Maybe that's me just being a Liverpool fan. Well, oh, you don't recognise that title victory then because it was ended. Well, fans winning for at least 60% of that year. So, you know, eight, maybe seven, well, March, wasn't it? So a good chunk of the season. So we'll take that. Well, fair enough. Okay, that's good. Uh, but for what it's worth, I think Jurgen Klopp is a fantastic man, fantastic manager and absolutely brilliant to have him in the English game for sure. Just thought I'd raise that point before uh, anyone comes at me and accuses Johnny me of hating. Hates yeah, I don't hate him. I quite, I do like him. Love to meet him. He seems like a really nice guy, to be fair, when he's outside of football mode after games, probably. Anyway, uh, Anthony, on to the sort of quick fire ones, because, of course, if we did this for every single game, we'd be here till, well, next month. Um, Wolves-Tottenham, Nuno Derby of sorts, coming back to his old club. 1-0 to Tottenham, Deli Alley penalty, but very close. And Adama Traore played in a very advanced position, missing a big chance in that game. Uh, Larges Wolves have lost their first two games, but there's a lot of bright signs. And by contrast, well, not by contrast, but by, by comparison, a lot of bright signs at Tottenham who've won the first two games under Nuno, including one against Man City. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's been a good, interesting time for Tottenham because there's a lot of criticism beforehand um, about sort of the recruitment, this Harry Kane situation. I think he's taken it in his stride well. He's done what he can. Spurs have sort of thrown him into the lines by not sort of announcing anything on his sort of situation. Um, I think it's a statement that he came off the bench today. Mm. Um, albeit he should have scored, but you, you can forgive him for that. Mm. Um, but yeah, two wins from two. Tottenham fans, you take you take that eat before the season started, hands down. Um, for Wolves, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think they it's a period of transition. They'll have their chances, but um, yeah, having played a certain style for so long, adjusting is going to take time mm. uh, for the new man. And um, yeah, hopefully they'll be safe and secure. Yeah, I'll stick it with you, Anthony, as well for the Leeds two Everton two. Get, I mean two games sorry uh yeah leads to Everton two at Ellen Road what a fan probably the game of the of the weekend really in terms of a spectacle both teams playing some very good football I, I must say actually Rafa Benitez has instilled a style very very quickly onto the team it's almost dare I say Sean Dyches in the basicness of it 4-4-2 get the balls out wide as quickly as possible whip those balls in because Calvert-Lewin's one of the best headers of a ball in the league one of the goals actually came like that Cooper pulls back Calvert-Lewin, penalty, yeah, well dispatched. Gray himself, £2 million signing from Leicester, looks like a shrewd acquisition because he scored a great goal. And then on the other end, Leeds played some lovely football as well and Rafinha with a belter to equalise at the end. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was it was two teams who had very indifferent results in the opening day. Um, it could have gone either way, ultimately. But um, in front of a pack and road for the first time since they were in the Championship, um, yeah, that I think that played its part. The Rafinha goal is something special. I mean, he has that talent. The frustrating thing about the Leeds fans is we'll, we'll have for him is the fact he doesn't produce it consistently enough, as they perhaps should have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he only scored a handful of goals last year and he'll certainly need to sort of improve that figure if Leeds are to sort of be top half of the table. Um, but in terms of Everton, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted for Damari Gray. Um, having gone to Leverkusen from Leicester last year, there were question marks about him, especially his return back to the Premier League. And to get, he just needs to kick on from that to get his goal um, and sort of show, sort of a reminder to people what he can do on a consistent level. Because he started off sort of all guns blazing at Leicester and then sort of dropped off the radar a bit. Mm. And um, yeah, play, starting every week, I think will help. Um, certainly his development as well. So yeah, it was an interesting game. Um, yeah, to say either side could have won in the end, but um, yeah, point shared. Yeah, no, uh, very, very, very entertaining match, certainly from the neutral point of view. And great to have Ellen Road with fans back because they had a full season in the Premier League, one of the most iconic grounds in English football without fans for a full season. Absolutely booming atmosphere in Leeds on Saturday afternoon and a fantastic one for all the fans, really, who went to see both Everton and, and Leeds that wonderful game. Adam, on to Aston Villa Newcastle, a game, really, that will be remembered by a sublime 
overhead kick from Danny Ings. It was unbelievable. I mean, as an ex ex Burnley and ex Southampton player, Danny Ings, I have a lot of love for him for his time at Burnley. I'm sure Anthony does, maybe not quite right now, but certainly will <laughs> remember him fondly for his time at Southampton. What a way to on your second uh, start, professional start, or yeah, well, second second main game for the club. What a way to market. That's why you pay the big bucks for someone like that. Yeah, I imagine he learned that on the training ground at Melwood as well. Hmm. <laughs> of course, <laughs> Liverpool as well. Yeah. My word, yes. Connection yeah. to all three, yeah. He's a brilliant footballer. Anton know this over the last few years. It was a £30 million price tag for an ageing player with a year left on a deal. And maybe financially, you think it's a bit bit much, but he will get you goals, and they're the goals that they're the type of goals that he can produce. Mm. All sorts of goals, whether it be a tap in from two yards out or an acrobatic effort, like we saw against Newcastle. He's a perfect player for Aston Villa, and you can't replace Grealish with one player. But if, you, if you, the three players that they've brought in, Danny Ings will get the goals, and the, if, if the other lads can create one or two chances, then you've got a perfect match there. Mm. I, I worry for Newcastle again. I don't worry. So does Harry Roy and the Newcastle group, at which I yeah. quite amusingly read uh, from day to day. I don't think, uh, as bad as they are, I think there's worse teams in the division. And that always seems to be the case in Newcastle. There's a lot of, they're bad, but they're not that bad. Um, they will get results. St. Maximum looks good if he can stay oh. fit. He's a brilliant footballer to watch. If, if he can get end product in his game more often, he can be one of the best players in the league because he, he's just the way he glides past players is just it's like me on the five aside pitch. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so good. I will say, actually, Newcastle's defense, there were some fine margins. There was obviously the penalty that Steve Bruce wasn't happy with. I thought it was a penalty. But then, from Wills's point of view, he had a one on one, which he put wide early on, which is very uncharacteristic. But then he also had the penalty, which was a Stonewall penalty, of course, but obviously overturned because he was narrowly offside. So on another day, they might have actually got something out of that game. Yeah, but... Absolutely. Yeah. But as you said, it, it, it was one of the, I think the commentators said it as well. It was one of them days for Newcastle where they, they where Danny Ings scores that type of goal and then Wilson misses that chance and then they mm. don't get the penalty. Mm. It's one of them days. So I felt they've just got to take it on the chin and they've got United in, after the international break. So best of luck. We've got Southampton next week, though. That'll be an interesting Whoa, game. Oh, sorry, sure. I missed that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Callum Wilson, please score. You're in my fancy football team. Anyway, <laughs> Brighton, no, maybe not for Ant. We'll, we'll let him miss <laughs> next week. Uh, Ant also used to be the ex-Brighton editor for Marvel, so covering two teams down south. Great win for them, 2-0 over Watford. Two wins out of two, so they're near the top of the league. Uh, really good start for Graham Potter's men. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm getting screenshots sent to me of the league table as it stands and everything. One even one of my mates even took a screenshot of of the table as soon as they went one 0 up, just in case they threw it away. Um, yeah, no, um, Brighton have been going about their business. They've recruited well. Um, they've got a couple of good young players to come in. Keeping Basuma, I think Basuma had a great game yesterday um, and certainly helped. Um, whether or not he leaves between now and the end of the uh, market is yet to be seen. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he played his part. Mopay again on target as well. Shame Duffy opening the scoring. I don't think it would be a more popular player to score at Brighton, having gone away to Celtic on loan last year. Um, yeah, his return sort of buoyed everyone up and in front of a pandemic stadium for the first time in God knows how long. Yeah, it was a good, good win for Brighton yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I'm still waiting for Leandro Trossard to fully fire. I got him in my fantasy team because I think he's a phenomenal player. Hit the woodwork five times last year, five goals, six assists last year. Thought this is his time. Not, I mean, he's playing really deep against Burnley, but he moved slightly further forward, didn't he, against uh, against Watford? Who, from, but from Watford's point of view, I suppose they were. I don't think they were terrible, but that second goal, they really shot themselves in the foot, didn't they? Trying to play out from the back. Yeah, it's one of those that if it if. It's always the danger of playing out from the back, I find, even watching Southampton, that if, if you mess up, then you've shot yourself in the foot and you're not coming back from it. Um, so from that perspective, it's it's a style choice. Man, I'm sure it'll happen to Man City one day, hopefully. But um, yeah, it's one of those where it happens and you just hold your hands up and move on. But no, in relation to Trossard, Trossard is a player that every time he gets in the ball, he's either going to do something incredible or average. 
Um, he's a very frustrating player because you you can see he has that potential. Like you don't get called up to the number one, the best team in the world, allegedly in Belgium for no, for no reason. Um, so yeah, the, the potential is there for him. He just needs to deliver on a consistent basis. That's fair enough. And lastly, uh, we'll stick with you, Ant, as well for this uh, Crystal Palace versus Brentford goalless but really entertaining game. Both teams could have had one or two goals themselves. I guess again. From Crystal Palace's point of view, end product was always a little bit of an issue under Roy Hodgson. They're going to be a bit more open this year. Similar issues from on that side of things, and for Brentford, solid start really. Four points out of the out of the first six, so really good start for Thomas Frank. Yeah, I think if you're a Brentford supporter, four points from six, you're you're sort of laughing in some ways. Although I don't think many would have have it the way it's been, so to speak, in the mm. fact that you probably beat Palace and draw with Arsenal, but. Um, no, uh, Ivan Tony is yet to fire, but I'm sure he will for the sake of my fantasy team. But um, price yeah, drop no. incoming. <laughs> but um, no, in terms of Palace, yeah, uh, question marks. There's a lot of sort of the old guard left. Selhurst Park, Park. There you go. Mm-hmm. Over the summer, and um, yeah, it's all about sort of replacing them with the younger sort of pool coming through. Um, the question marks over Roy Hodgson were the style of play, etc. But at that same time, he's keeping you in the Premier League for so mm. long. Mm. Um, the style of play ultimately will change with Vieira in charge. Mm. I'm sure a lot of sort of Arsenal supporters will be keeping a close eye to see sort of how his sort of coaching career develops. And um, yeah, nil-nil. Yeah, it's is one of those where it could have gone either way, but ultimately a point would be satisfactory for both teams. Oh, very good. And of course, West Ham and Leicester play on Monday night. That'd be quite a good game, I imagine, to watch. Uh, hopefully, Antonio gets himself on the score sheet. Again, if you're not keeping up to date with this yet, that'll probably be for fantasy team purposes because I don't really have any um, much reason for West Ham to win over Leicester. Of course, and Callum's a big Leicester fan, so I hope Leicester do when co-host Callum, by the way. Usual co-host is not here. I'm not just ignoring him for the past 50 minutes. Um, yeah, so on to matches abroad then. We'd like to cover some foreign leagues in our Volvo UK group. And there are some people that like to report on La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, all over the shop. Um, wonderful, wonderful people. Some actually in Spain covering La Liga, which is, which is wonderful to see. We're actually not going to start with La Liga. Though. We'll start with Serie A in terms of their season's just kicked off this weekend. Inter Milan, really the big story team because they dominated Serie A last season. Lukaku's gone, Hakimi's gone, arguably the two best players gone from, and the manager, Antonio Conte, who was adored by the Inter fans. All gone. Uh, Simeone Inzaghi's come in. It's much more steady, steady, stable-minded manager compared to Conte. Well, I mean, anyone is compared to Conte. As much as I love the guy, and I do, um, he, I suppose calmness wasn't one of his strongest suits. However, big 4-0 win for them this weekend. And Edin Dzeko got himself on the score sheet repl- and got himself an assist, replacing Lukaku. Quite, well, I suppose a cost-effective replacement for Lukaku. He's older, but he certainly knows where the back of the net is. Chalanoglu coming in on a free transfer as well, had a bit of craft. He also got a goal and an assist. And Denzel Dumfries, who did well in the Euros, came on um, in the last 10 minutes for Inter. Really good start to their Serie A campaign. Is it realistic that they can get a title again this year, or do you just think that maybe with Max Allegri back at Juventus, if they can keep Ronaldo... He's got the know-how. They have the experience to retain the title, not retain the title, but get back the title that they lost when Pirlo was in charge. And it was a like crazy, well, completely inexperienced man in charge of a team that's you know got such high expectations. I think Inter were. I, I saw the highlights before. They were unbelievable in, in the way that they finished chances. Shakanoglu is probably one of the sweetest strikes of a ball that I've I've seen ever. I think the way that he strikes a ball is unbelievable and sort of I, I always think we've been to like, there's a lot of players that go between the two clubs aren't there the Milan clubs which is a bit a bit weird but um yeah I, I well Juventus are Juventus and they've got Ronaldo so they're, they're automatic favourites to win the league but they did throw just, two two today though against well, yeah. Ronaldo yeah. was on the bench yeah I think his situation's a bit weird at the moment, mm. isn't it? It's sort of like he wants to leave, but 
who's going to get him. No one can really get him. Real Madrid can't get him. Well, I don't think Mbappe's leaving and I don't think, well, they can get away with it. Although mm. the, the chairman is the head of the European Club Committee, so I, I suppose you can get away with anything, can't you, at that point? Wait, wait, um, nudge, nudge. Yeah, I'm not saying anything, so don't come after me, but maybe you've just got someone to that can sort you out. But yeah, I, I think into a, a, a really good side, they've, they've replaced players that have left mm. for... They they sold for a lot of money and they replaced really well, mm. quite cheap. Humphreys mm-hmm. was cheap, Jacko's cheap, Hakan Shaganoglu was on a free transfer. Yep. So they've they've got a lot of good players. Uh, they've managed to retain Barella after his unbelievable season mm-hmm. and then winning the Euros of Italy. I don't know. I, something in me tells me that they can still they'll win it this year again. And if the Ronaldo situation is still a bit iffy, mm. there's a lot of bad blood there and. It's sort of Ronaldo's a professional, the ultimate professional, and the way he looks after himself, and you know, but but he's got an ego, and if if sort of he feels like he's not being treated well, and the club aren't recruiting well, then he may may not completely down tools, but I don't think he's going to be the the best person to be around if if they're not doing the best. No, I mean I, I'd love Stefano Pioli to win with AC Milan strictly because one of my favourite players, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, is still strutting his stuff there and you know they did they did sort of have half a title challenge last season until Inter blitzed them in the derby and then it all went wrong so uh, and the general consensus with Milan fans was last season the title challenge was an overachievement so it, it does and without Chalinoglu as well it does feel like it will be difficult to to keep going with that title push particularly as well with Max Allegri back as well if, if Juventus could sort that uh, Ronaldo situation out then you'd expect them to bounce back although disappointing draw today well tomorrow when this goes out or whenever or tomorrow yesterday or whenever sunday night that's when it was and yeah i mean in the bundesliga as well it's been interesting Bayern 3-2 win today over Köln, but it wasn't necessarily straightforward they were 2-0 up it got to 2-2 and gnabry got us his second of the game Lero sane received booze at half time when he was when he was um and he was taken off subsequently so it was He's not necessarily having the best time of it after his move from Manchester City. He struggled a little bit. The, I suppose the expectation at Bayern is huge, uh, as you'd expect. But also Julian Nagelsmann, four points out of six, which is you know respectable. They did struggle a little bit against Mönchengladbach last week. They did have their issues this week as well. And, and But they did win the Super Cup against Dortmund 3-1 in midweek. When you take over from someone like Hansi Flick, who was basically coming in and playing to the strengths of all the players that he had, and then you go to a tactical play coach like Nagelsmann, there's going to be a transitional period, isn't there? Because he's not playing to the strengths of the players. He's implementing his style to that squad. No, he's not. Um, it's it's a difficult one because you sort of go into a job at Munich and you sort of, you can't win. Um, <laughs> if you have success, it's expected. And if you don't, then you're sacked. Um yeah, Munich today, narrow winners over Cologne. It probably could have been more straightforward, but um, as I say, two goals conceded. They brought in Upa Meccano in sort of sense of defence, looking to sort of bring in someone who is a recognised centre-back to fill the likes of Watang's shoes, I guess. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure time will tell with that. Um, I'm sure it will be successful in the end. as they dismantled Dortmund in midweek and yeah, nothing was sort of sort of mentioned of that in terms of any negativity around the Munich camp. So it's it's just the bread and butter with Munich that um they need to work on and yeah, hopefully they'll be there and thereabouts. Yeah, I mean I think that was sort of that was sort of well summarized you would expect them to do so. Just to generally another news around Europe, Dortmund lost to Freiburg. A bit of a stagger start for Marco under Marco Rosa. They won 5-2 last weekend, but lost the Super Cup 3-1 to, to Bayern and then obviously losing to Freiburg as well on game week two. Not ideal. PSG beating Brest, but no Messi yet. Mbappe did score, but he was subbed. Di Maria came on and also made a late impact as well. Barcelona drew 1-1 with Athletic Bilbao. Memphis Depay cancelled out an, op- an opener from Inigo Martinez. So Messi-less Barcelona not off to the best of starts this week. Although, of course, they did have quite a... I think they won last week, so not all doom and gloom. And for more wonderful results from across Europe, then 
Well, please check GeoScore because that's linked with Volvo. You see what I did there, Adam? That was um, that was very seamless. And if you want some of the best sport written content from around the globe, then do check out Volvo UK or Volvo of the country of your choice because we've got Volvo Espania, Volvo America, which is also in English, obviously. But um, yeah, we've got some wonderful, wonderful writers across the globe providing to a wonderful, wonderful website. And we're talking about it on a wonderful, wonderful podcast. If you haven't already, please do give us a subscribe. Please do leave a review on your podcast platform. If you so desire, please make it positive. Otherwise, I will be very, very upset. And my thanks, I should say, to Adam and Ant. Adam and Ant, very good. My yeah. thanks to both of you. Yeah, we should go and t- tell Ant. I think we'll, we'll do. <laughs> does sound like it. Does sound like a good, uh, a good, good television duo, almost like Ant and Deck. But I think that even that has a nicer ring to it. To be fair to you lads, I think you've got an opportunity there, and it was discovered here. So I take ten percent commission on any earnings that you make. Fantastic. <laughs> Join us next week for more wonderful content a wonderful discussion on the Premier League and the overseas football that goes on. And yeah, until then, thanks for listening. Stay safe during crazy COVID times. Still the case for some people. And again, thanks for listening.